Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. would turn with me in your Bible or on your Bible app or in in the one in your pew, our text today is from Mark's Gospel, the first chapter, verses 4 through 11. Let us hear the reading of God's Word. So John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and the whole Judean region and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And now John was clothed with camel's hair and a leather belt around his weight and around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and to untie the strap of his sandals. I have baptized you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And in those days, Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens uh, torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove upon him. And a voice came from the heavens, You are my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious Lord, as we gather this morning, as we hear your word read and proclaimed, may these words be anchored deep in our hearts so that we know of your grace, that we know of your truth, that we know of your love, and by being anchored in our hearts, that they may flourish in our lives, so that we would not just be hearers of your words, but doers of your words. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. So to hear the word epiphany, Several things come to mind. The definition, the classic definition from the dictionary is the manifestation of Christ to Gentiles as represented by the Magi, or a moment of sudden revelation. Now, when we in the church, when we hear the word epiphany, we think about the epiphany season, immediately what comes to mind for many of us is the image of the Magi, the kings of the east, traveling with their camels across the desert coming to pay homage to a child born in a manger to be king. Now, what we know from the liturgical calendar is that the the Epiphany Day is 12 days after Christmas, signifying and reminding us that the Magi didn't just come the night of Jesus' birth, but they came later seeking him because the word of his birth had spread. But these 12 days are emblematic and symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel reminding again us who Jesus was born to save, that he was the Messiah, the chosen one of God. But in that, those 12 days between Christmas and Epiphany began to be known as the 12 days of Christmas. Now, in modern society, 
the Christmas crazy begins when? When does it begin? Everybody, the choir says Halloween. Who's been to Lowe's in September and you've seen the tree up already? Like right beside the, you know, there's like the inflatable Santa Claus beside the inflatable witch. I mean, it's a crazy, you know, juxtaposition. But the crazy Christmas begins somewhere between the end of August and it really ramps up beginning at Halloween all the way up through Christmas Day. And then what? You go to Lowe's the day after Christmas, all the Christmas stuff has been moved magically to the corner, marked way down so that you'll get rid of it because all of the home organization stuff is out. Or if you go to the grocery store, it's even worse because all the Christmas candy is up for sale, but the Valentine's candy is out. I mean, we like candy at holidays, don't we? But long before the commercialization of Christmas, The season of Advent was a season to prepare, and it wasn't as festive, it wasn't as frenetic as we have turned it into in modern society. It was a time to be penitent and time to build up, and then Christmas Day came, and then for the next 12 days, the world celebrated the season of Christmas, the 12 days. And over those 12 days, it was a chance for us to be slow down, to be restful, to be contemplative about what this means, this birth of the Christ child. It's this chance to realize the impact that it has upon our lives. And so the visit of the Magi reminds us, as that season comes to an end of that contemplation, it reminds us of the gift that we've been given and that we too should come and pay homage at the manger. But then we also think of the Magi and we think of what they bring the finest of gifts, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh that represented uber value in their era. And sometimes we gloss over the fact that they were warned in a dream, having gone to Herod and asked where the king born to be king of kings was, and Herod was shocked to learn about this. They were warned in a dream to go home by a different path. So when we think about this story of the Magi and Epiphany, what does it mean for us? I think it's a challenge for you and for me that we, are just, that we too must journey to Bethlehem, if you will, that we too find the Christ child born for us, that we pay homage to Jesus as our King and all that what that means. It means yielding our will to His yielding our lives to his, following him and humbling ourselves before him. I think it's a challenge for us to offer our very best, the very best of who we are, the very best of what we have, the very best of what we can do to offer that back to Christ, much like the Magi did. And then once we too have made our journey to Bethlehem, to see this king born king of kings, that we walk away by a different path. What I mean by that is no matter, if we think about our past, no matter what we have experienced up to that moment, that we should walk in a new light, walk a new road, walk a more Christ-like road each and every time we come to Bethlehem, being a little closer to his walk than we were the year before. For friends, we have seen his star. We have come to the manger, and it should change who we are and what we're about. 
But if that is what epiphany is about, then what in the world was this text that I just read? Because there was nothing in there, was there, about magi. Nothing in there about angels. Nothing in there about gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This text was about baptism. And so there's this crazy juxtaposition in the liturgical calendar. So in addition to yesterday being the Epiphany Day, the 6th of January, 12 days after Christ's birth, the very next thing in the liturgical calendar is celebrating the baptism of Jesus. So what we have in one instant, we have our feet in two worlds. One, we're standing there at the manger with the Magi, and the other foot, Jesus is a 30-year-old man beginning his ministry by being baptized in the wilderness. It's as if what Ferris Bueller said 35 years ago, life moves pretty fast. If you don't pay attention, you'll miss something. But the reality is, what we find in our text today, we do find the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and it starts out there in the wilderness. John the Baptist, he's out there dressed in camel's hair with a, a leather belt, and he's eating locusts and wild honey. So you can imagine, he's sort of like a wild man, sort of a, somebody might even say he's a bit of a madman, but really, he was paving the way. He was baptizing people, helping them repent of their sins, and just like any major keynote speaker or politician or famous person that gets up to speak, there's always someone that introduces them to let them know what you're about to receive, who you're about to hear from, what's about to go down. So John the Baptist is sort of that introducer, that, that uh, hype man, if you will, for what's about to happen in Jesus' ministry. And what does he say in the text? He says, oh, there's one coming that's way more powerful than me. I am not worthy to untie his sandals. He will, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit. And then just as John says is going to happen, the text records it does. That Jesus comes out to the wilderness, and he comes to the water, and he's baptized by John. And as he comes up out of the water, the heavens part, and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and all the world hears, you are my son with whom I am well pleased. And then at moment, God acts. In that moment, God crystallizes the whole sacrament of baptism for us, and in doing so sets baptism apart for the followers of Jesus Christ. Now, what we know about baptism, we know that it's one of two sacraments in the United Methodist Church, a sacrament being a rite in which the divine grace is imparted to the believer. The other sacrament being Holy Communion, which we're going to celebrate in a moment, and we'll talk about in a couple of months. But baptism is a gift from God. It's a gift from God in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A gift in which we gain a new life in Christ, but in which we are united with Christ and with all of God's people. And what it means for the recipient is this. Baptism is participation in Christ's death and resurrection because we've got to remember that Jesus was sent to the world to die for our sins. Jesus, fully human and at the same time fully divine, he understands who you and I are. He understands the struggle that we as human beings have, but he is above that. And yet Jesus goes into the water to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins that he did not commit. But he did it in solidarity to be with us, in solidarity with us sinners, to fulfill this whole idea of all righteousness. 
Baptism is an act of conversion when we decide that we want to change our life and we want to live by a new path, a new walk, a new way. It is a pardon for our sinfulness. It's the imparting of grace and forgiveness upon us. It's a washing away of those sins. But it's not just the gift of the water that we receive. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's why we talk about baptism being both of water and the Spirit, because something magical happens in that moment. Something mystical happens when we baptize an infant or an adult. It's not just water, but it's also the Holy Spirit that comes onto the life of that child or that individual. The Holy Spirit is there to guide and direct our lives so that as we go forward, we are nurtured in an understanding of who God is for us. And then finally, baptism is incorporation, initiation, adoption into the family of God. I mean, that's why part of our liturgy talks about the naming, if you will. So if you remember in our baptism liturgies, uh, oftentimes Kate's the one that leads and she says, well, today we're going to baptize so-and-so, and we're going to ask so-and-so's parents, will you do such-and-such for so-and-so? We ask all these questions, and then we get to the end where the baby is passed to me, and what question do I ask and say, what name is given this child? Let's be really clear. It's not like I have not been listening. I know the name of the child, but there's this important part, and sometimes the parents are quizzical, like, what do you mean you don't know? But the reality is, is by naming the child, and so in my case, when I was baptized, Philip Glenn, by naming the child, that is the name that God knows me by. That is the name that the family of God will know me by. Because naming is about belonging. Remember we hear this in Isaiah 43 where God says, I have called you by name and you are mine. That's what this is about, this idea of naming and belonging. But it's in this powerful moment of baptism where these four elements come together, this idea of participation and conversion and the gift of the Holy Spirit and this sense of belonging to a community, to a family much greater than our own. But there are some implications of baptism. So first of all, that baptism is an act of God. It's not something that we as the church do. It's not something that we as clergy do. It's God working and doing all the work. We are merely the vessel through which it happens. Because it's by water and the Spirit, because it's an act of God, it's not anything that can fade away. You can't lose your baptism. You can't discard it like an old suit. It won't fade and change like a tattoo. You can't rub it off. You can't say that it didn't take because God is permanent. It's a one-time event in our lives. So this is why when we come through ordination as clergy, we sit before the Board of Ordained Ministry, they ask us questions. And, And I can remember when I came through as a provisional candidate, I was asked this question, said, All right, so we're going to talk about your baptismal theology. Glenn, um, let me give you a scenario. I'm an 80-year-old man, and I come to you as my pastor, and I say, Pastor Glenn, uh, I'm 80 years old. I don't remember my my baptism. Will you baptize me again? Now, friends, the schoolhouse answer here is simply this, no. But you got to find a pastoral way of saying that. And if you want to pass the Board of Ordained Ministry, you got to say a whole lot more words to get through that. But the the answer is no. I won't baptize you again because baptism never fades. It's already there. 
But I understand about not remembering it. Let me help you remember your baptism. Now, it's fair to say as I look around the sanctuary today, and those of you online as well, that some of you remember your baptisms, but many of us don't. And I think on this, the first Sunday of the year, I think that we should do that, that we should start the year off remembering who we are, whose we are, what we're about by remembering our baptism. So I invite you to join with me. If you'll take out your hymnal in front of you, if you're joining with me on page 50, We're going to go through this. So my brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We're incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the Spirit. All this is God's gift offered to us without price. Through the reaffirmation of our, through the reaffirmation of our faith, we renew the covenant declared at our baptism and acknowledge what God is doing for us and affirm our commitment to Christ's holy church. Since the earliest of times, the vows of the baptismal covenant have consisted first of the renunciation of all that is evil, and then the profession of faith and loyalty to Christ. So I ask you, my brothers and sisters, this question. Do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? If so, say, I do. Now, I want you to think about what you just said. You cast all of that ugliness behind you. You reject all of that all the ugliness of a world, we want to rise above that's what we're saying. We renounce those things and reject that evil in the world around us. That should be the first mark of how we live our lives. The second question, do you accept the freedom and power that God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? If so, say, I do. Again, Think about the world around us. Think about the oppression. Think about the injustice. We accept the freedom that God gives us to resist all that and to rise above it. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in His grace, and promise to serve Him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ is open to people of all ages, nations, and races? If so, say, I do. My brothers and sisters, there is no more important question you will answer in your lives than that one right there. Do you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior? That right there puts us at the manger. That right there puts him over our lives. And according to the grace given to you, we'll remain faithful members of Christ's holy church and serve as Christ's representatives in the world. If so, say, I will. Friends, this is living out what we say each week in worship. The idea of being not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. See, friends, we have professed the Christian faith is contained in the Old and New Testaments. We have done that already with our affirmation of faith this morning. So let us pray. 
Eternal Father, when nothing else existed but chaos, you swept across the dark waters and brought forth life. In the days of Noah, you saved those in the ark through the water. After the flood, you set on the clouds a rainbow, and when you saw your people as slaves in Egypt, you led them to freedom through the sea. Their children you brought through the Jordan to the land which you had promised. In the fullness of time, you sent Jesus nurtured in the water of a womb. He was baptized by John, anointed by your spirit. He called his disciples to share in his baptism of his death and resurrection and make disciples of all nations. So most holy God, pour out your spirit. Pour down on this gift of water to call our remembrance of the gift of grace declared to us in our baptism. For you have washed away our sins. You have clothed us with righteousness throughout our lives. And then dying and being raised with Christ, we might share in his final victory. All this we pray in your holy name. Amen. So my brothers and sisters, I challenge you, remember your baptism and be thankful. The Holy Spirit work within you that having been born through water and the Spirit, you may be true disciples who walk in the way that leads to life. So my friends, let us rejoice as we find on page 52. Let us rejoice in the faithfulness of our covenant God. We give thanks for all that God has already given us as members of the body of Christ and in this congregation of the United Methodist Church. We will faithfully participate in the ministries of the church by our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness, that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. The God of all grace, who has called us to eternal glory in Christ, establish and strengthen us all by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we may grow and live in grace and peace. Amen. So friends, on this Sunday, we find ourselves with our feet firmly planted in two worlds liturgically. Planted one foot in the land of Epiphany and the other at the baptism of the Lord. And so on this day, we remember. We remember the Magi's visit, how it beckons us to come and to worship Christ, to make sure that Christ is the King of kings of our lives, our Savior, to put our whole trust in Him, to set aside our egos and our agendas for Christ's love, Christ's grace, for Christ's will for our lives to offer our finest gifts, to give our very best of prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. And as we come to him, and as we leave, that we go down a different path, a path which seeks peace in our world, a path which shares love for all, a path which gives hope, a path which brings joy, a path that mirrors that to the one of Christ, the one that he walked we find ourselves learning to live and love like Jesus. And then we remember our baptism, where we are cleansed of sin, given the gift of unrelenting grace, where we are named and initiated into the family of God, where God says to us, I have called you by name and you are mine. So in a few moments, we will come to the altar to remember our baptism, to share in the meal of the kingdom. And as we rise and walk away from that, we will walk away and hope that we will walk in the way that leads to life. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen 
and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings. Blessings.